I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to December's episode of the RubyCoin podcast coming to you from the top floor of RubyCoin HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. In this, the last episode of 2018, we're going to go over some of the biggest stories from the year that was, the companies from our app that impacted most upon our lives in the past 12 months, and our big predictions for 2019. So guys, the last podcast of 2018. So for this month's episode, we're just going to have a quick look back at some of the biggest stories from the market over the last year. And I suppose the best place to start is with Facebook. It's been a pretty awful year for Facebook. There was the infamous Cambridge Analytica scandal at the start of the year and then a few more data breaches since. Guys, where did Facebook go from here? I think it's just been a real fall from grace, particularly for Zuckerberg. I mean, you say like the Cambridge Analytica hack, it wasn't a yeah. hack. Yeah. <laughs> was like, people keep calling it a hack and it wasn't. That was what was Facebook was intended for. And um, yeah, they've had some other minor breaches. There was the photo one last Friday, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, I think the point is that once we really did hold up Zuckerberg as kind of this great business mind, mm. even if he wasn't a very likable character, he was still this guy who created a product that the world really embraced. And, you know, thinking back even to the Instagram purchase, he was mocked back then. And then yeah. you know, everyone had to kind of quietly apologize for mocking him when that turned out to be a great deal. It still hasn't worked out with WhatsApp yet, but I just think now he's he seems like now this kind of sulking kind of moaner who's just blaming everyone for everything you know that there was that article in uh, the Wall Street Journal where he was blaming Sheryl Sandberg for Cambridge Analytica yeah. and blaming the media for all the negative publicity he said at one point Facebook was at war yeah he's mm-hmm. pretty strong words it was. but like that's totally against what he said in a Congress when he stood up and said it's my company I take responsibility mm. that all is just nonsense you know yeah I think um, one thing from from Facebook's numerous mishaps this year, Maeve, is that it was kind of, for me, and I know myself and yourself have talked about this a little bit, it was kind of like the dawning of the realisation of how much data we have out there and how much information yeah. is kind of vulnerable out there. Yeah, I mean, that makes me feel slightly exposed, you know, and concerned. Yeah. But I mean, like Rory just mentioned there, when Zuck stood up in Congress and, you know, gave his entirely uh, disingenuous kind of apology, like... I don't really think the guy cares, you know, and maybe that's not a news broadcast that, you know, the head of a massive corporate company like that wouldn't care so much. Yeah. But it's the way he's pretending to care and they're rolling back and, you know, slightly kind of starting to point the finger. It's it's not a good look. Yeah. Um, and, you know, data breaches aside, like the use of Facebook at the moment for me, a lot of people are telling me they've dropped out, they've deleted. Um, I'm nearly there and the app is sending me pretty desperate notifications about how yeah. a peer from secondary school uploaded a new photo last Wednesday. So yeah. it's not in a good spot but, and neither is Zuck. Yeah, but Emmett, I know you talked about last year you completely deleted your presence off Facebook, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you're a user of WhatsApp and, and perhaps Instagram. Oh, so definitely, we're not yeah. really getting away from them, are we? 
No, I mean, I, I use their assets every day, probably every waking hour at some point. Yeah. Uh, you're right, I deleted the apps and the bookmarks of my laptop and computers, but I don't, it's not that I have turned my back fully on Facebook. I dip in now, now and again for self-serving purposes. Uh, WhatsApp is core to how I communicate with my people and friends and family. And of course, I have a, a look at Instagram now and again. I'm not all that into it. But I do believe they're, they have the strength and the might. I think their mission is to keep the world more open and connected. And yeah. they have the ability to acquire whatever might appear on the landscape that even alludes to that kind of mission. So whatever businesses start to connect people in a new and innovative way, they'll go there. They'll either replicate it or acquire it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, other uh, kind of divisive figures from the year, we have to look at Elon Musk, I suppose. Um, Maeve's favourite. <laughs> Maeve's favourite. Was he tweeting about how he likes ramen or something the other day? Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> so uh, outside of Tesla, well, <laughs> to speak from a, a market perspective first, it was a big year for Tesla. They had... Um, various production goals they really had to hit this year and in fairness they did make it albeit barely but you know at the start of the summer they made those model three goals but i think everything got a bit distracted uh, by the antics of elon um he got in a fight with wall street analysts on an earnings call calling them boring and boneheads <laughs> he uh was continually attacking short sellers across the entire summer it seems um, he got into a fight, a really bizarre fight with a Thailand rescue diver. Uh, he smoked weed legally on a podcast with Joe Rogan. And then, of course, he said that he was going to bring Tesla private at 420 a share. Um, Rory. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of information to just take in. <laughs> was that all this year? <laughs> busy there, year, busy year. Was there not some kind of spot with Azealia Banks as well? Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that was... Which was way left of field. Who's that now? All <laughs> oh, right. And she said she was in his basement, and there was, you know, some nefarious goings on. Hold on, was that his girlfriend? No, I'm all over this story, as you can see. <laughs> Basically, James just listed a number of bizarro stories, and mm -hmm. there was another. There was, was more. Way more. And the yeah. Raymond thing. I mean, is Elon okay? I like in terms of fall for graces. I don't think his was as spectacular as. Um, Zuckerberg's yeah but probably was just kind of an eye-opener to a lot of people that you know as much as he is a genius of the business world and makes amazing products that he's still a human and has the same sort of emotional triggers and probably was overworked for a while yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely I think you really need a second in command you mentioned that before yeah. I met. yeah too I see what's kind of interesting is there's a website called comparably.com which has uh, taken uh, anonymous surveys from 10 million workers in the US uh, 50,000 different companies on, on, on the CEO specifically and this year 2018 Elon Musk came I think it was 18th or 19th in the list of best CEOs to work for from a completely anonymous uh, rating engine so okay. you know internally he's probably doing something right and um, you know he says the guy who invented PayPal SpaceX and Tesla <laughs> but, um, but you know definitely he's good at drawing uh, bizarre attention on himself with his behaviour outside of work but clearly inside the confines of SpaceX and Tesla he, he you know his madness stroke genius is cutting through yeah well like it, it's all well and good to kind of laugh at, at these things I suppose in retrospect but you know when it starts impacting upon the actual business of Tesla you know the SEC got involved with that 420 tweet you know mm. there there is a point I suppose where investors start to get annoyed yeah and I mean just on the employee thing it's it uh, I'm surprised he was so highly ranked because um 
the amount of executives that seem to leave yeah. like is yeah. just so yeah. worrying. You'd be like, is there yeah. something really rotten in Denmark there? Mm. But yeah, with the, I mean, the SEC thing, I think he got off very lightly. Yeah. He, uh, not only could he be removed as CEO, but he just got a slap on the wrist fine and uh, had to give up the chairmanship yeah. and then went on to mock them openly, <laughs> <laughs> continuously. He did a 60-minute interview where he said he didn't respect any of them. So I think he's gotten away yeah. with a lot of stuff mm. this year. Yeah. So looking at the market as a whole then, I, th- I think it's fair to say that 2018 was quite a different year for the market as as compared to 2017. We had the small matter of a trade war this year and then, you know, pretty regular sell-offs throughout the year. There was a big one in February, big one in October, and there was even a big one yesterday. Yeah. Um, how, how do we compare the two years in terms of the overall market? Was last year just a an outlier or is this year considered more of an outlier Rory uh, yeah I mean there was a couple of ups and downs but I think it really was rather than kind of a year of two halves it was really a year of three quarters yeah. and a bad quarter at the end the sell-offs in February um, was yeah it was it was big but it was quite quick it was over quite quickly yeah or it, maybe it just felt like it was over quite quickly and yeah. there's, a, there's a lesson to investors mm. if you just let things go <laughs> for a while they probably won't feel as uh as bad, but yeah, the the last few weeks, there's just been this constant. I mean, it's kind of a coming together of so many different factors. There's interest rates rising, uh, the trade war, this kind of worry about growth in China, worry about growth in the U.S. Everything's kind of just happening at once, and there's, there's there seems to be never a day when there's only good news. Yeah, there's always kind of something bad happening at some point, or some fear that's that's jolting the market. But like the only thing you can do is just. Um, you know, think about how you feel right now if you're an investor and if you're really panicking, you you probably shouldn't be investing the way you're investing. You should probably be in less risky investments because this is how the market works. This yeah. is uh, this is the kind of swings that you get when you invest in common stocks. And if you have a whole portfolio of common stocks, it's going to look quite painful at times like this. But further down the line, you'll realize that, you know, it's it's usually not as big a deal as it, as it felt at the time. Over the past 12 months, we actually had two companies in the Invest app that were acquired. Back towards the end of January or the start of February, Juno Therapeutics was acquired by Celgene in a cash deal worth about $9 billion. That was actually a 190% return from when we added them. So mm-hmm. big win for us, I think. Uh, then in September, Mazor Robotics was acquired by Medtronic in a deal worth $1.64 billion, which is expected to be closed early next year, I think. That represented a 275 percent return on the price we added them to the invest app at so two two big acquisitions from the showroom Emmett. yeah they were and both in the medical field uh, showing consolidation in the area and a harder it's it's a harder run for you to find a company on the cutting edge doing something brilliant that's just left to it in order to fulfill your investment thesis you're putting money in in the anticipation of leaving it there for years or possibly decades which was the very reason that I bought shares in Mazor. So it's no surprising that Medtronic came along and spotted what we as individual investors spotted and move in for uh, move in for an acquisition. Yeah. It happens. Um, it's. I suppose I've probably had 20 or 30 stocks acquired out of my portfolio over the years. It seemed like fate had me 
destined to become a Disney shareholder. I originally invested in Marvel when it was independently listed and um, several years later Disney bought it. Um, I think it was half cash, half shares, I can't quite recall, uh, or possibly even fully shares. And then I I, I sold my interest as part of that acquisition in Disney. Then I bought shares in Pixar and Pixar was acquired by Disney and same deal, I, I... Disney shares are put into my portfolio, if you like. Yeah. So I've seen this happen a lot in my own investing life. It's going to happen again in the future. I I can see stocks in our app that I believe could or should be a very viable acquisition target. I'm not going to list them here. <laughs> but, you know, the thing about it is it's usually a quality problem. We Not always. Like, for example, Solar City was acquired soon after we added it to our app at a price below uh, the price point at which we added it, yeah. added it. and um, that was unfortunate and mm. the problem is the control is taken out of your hands yeah. so whether it's Mazor or Juno or something else by the time you get news of the acquisition it's it, the deal is done yeah funny that they were well Juno was the only pharma company we've ever added yeah and you know what a great return we had it just for over a year and then Mazor not a pharma company but a medical devices company mm-hmm. I think you and me both had really big yeah. hopes for that company yeah. I was a shareholder yeah. and I really thought it was going to be a multi-bagger force uh, with that razor and blade model they had yeah. and all the, the white papers they printed about how good the technology was it was a, it was a yeah. real uh, dig when you only, when you only yeah. you're still getting 27% return in a yes. year but yeah. yeah you have to get off the roller coaster before you want to really uh, I know yeah <laughs> oh well before we move on, Emmett, um, I have to come to you. This time last year, we were in the midst of the Bitcoin bubble, as I think we yeah. can now probably call it. Yeah. And you wrote um, an expert opinion piece at the time, giving your thoughts on the, the craze. And mm-hmm. uh, I think we can all sit back now, 12 months later, and say you might have timed that perfectly. <laughs> yeah, it was it was ludicrous, the whole thing, if you ask me. I'm not saying that cryptocurrency won't emerge in the future, but the craze that was, you know, uh, 2017 yeah it just it was a bubble in, yeah in surest form uh, and so many different kind of real world metrics reinforced that view such as you can't pay for stuff with bitcoin on the sites <laughs> you go to the giant sites we're not talking about you know mom and pop stores but you could not pay at the basket at apple or amazon with bitcoin which said something yeah. about it in this pure function as a currency. So, yeah, that was well-timed. But I'd, I suppose it had the benefit of having seen Fever Pitch before uh, in the run-up, the dot-com run of the, just up until May uh, year 2000. Yeah. You know, logic goes out the window. And when you start having uh, people who know nothing about asset investing recommending certain assets to you, you have to stop and wonder. And I think here in Dublin, which is quite a distance from Silicon Valley, the younger teenagers were walking around yeah. with a with a, a crypto wallet. And, and um, as a result, they were giving advice on what um, cryptocurrencies to buy. And, yeah. you know, you just have to stop for a moment and just consider where is this coming from? What body of knowledge are they drawing upon except each other? And that is, uh, I suppose, the kernel of of a bubble. Yeah. Wasn't there a great um, anecdote about uh, Joseph Kennedy, who's JFK's dad, who said he got out of the stock market right before the Great Depression, and he said that when he knew it was good, it was a bubble when... Um, the guy who was shining his shoes was giving him stock advice. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, that turned out to be um, a lie. Oh, right. He was oh, insider right. trading, but, you know, <laughs> it's a good <laughs> story all the yeah, same. Yeah. 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 
So uh, they were some of the biggest stories from 2018. We're going to move on now to the companies we never talk about section. And this is where both Emmett and Rory pitch a company to us from the Invest app that they feel maybe doesn't get as much focus or attention as it deserves. Rory, we'll come to you first. What company do you want to have a chat about today? Yeah, so, I mean, we talk a lot about global megatrends here. And one of the trends we focus on a lot is automation. And I think when you mention automation, a lot of people start thinking about robots and autonomous vehicles. But actually, automation is happening right now. And the real benefits of automation are being felt in not so in a not-so-obvious way. Uh, so the company I want to talk about is ServiceNow which are a leading provider of enterprise solutions that automate services. At the very most basic ServiceNow software, you can plug into a company's IT network. And what it can do is it'll take support tickets, basically categorize them, log them, and send them to the right technician so the IT problems get sorted out as fast as possible. Okay. So yeah. That's their very most basic function. But a lot of companies are employing this for really creative ways. Uh, there's a, a company that does... Uh, the hires technicians for medical devices all across America, and they have this all automated now. So as soon as, as soon as a medical device goes down, the serial numbers typed into ServiceNow, and the right technician is sent there. The whoever's closest who can deal with the machine, and it's really important for that stuff to be logged and to know how it was dealt with, and to ensure that it doesn't happen again, or that if there's a, a recurring issue that it's dealt with. So uh, currently about 800 of the biggest 2,000 companies in the world are their clients. Okay. The average client spends 1.5 million a year. Uh, for their products. Uh, they cross-sell multiple products to these clients and that's let them increase revenue 72% on average since 2010. Uh, and they've also got a great CEO in John Donahue, who's the former CEO of eBay and Bain & Capital. So, yeah, it's a company that I thought I'd highlight this week. It's a great business and it's been relatively strong throughout this downturn, yeah. which is a good okay. sign. So, yeah, that's it. Service now. And what's the ticker symbol? Uh, now, N-O-W. Cool. Uh, Emmett, what company do you want to shine a little light on? Well, as you know, James, Maeve and Rory, we've all been very busy in the last week yeah. reviewing all the stocks in our in our showroom, Yeah. Um, a vast proportion of which we're about to update our comment on in the days and weeks ahead. And in the research, uh, yesterday I had a lock-in and spent effectively 10 hours reading through the latest investor presentations of about 20 of the stocks in our showroom. And while I initially had said to you, I think I'll talk about Gentex, as you know, just before we walked in, I yeah. said, actually, I'm changing that to to, to you. Um, and to you uh, took me by surprise yesterday when I started to re-research the business. Um, as a lot of our listeners know, it's the leading provider of software as a service solutions to higher education. Um, so basically what it does is it brings new students to universities and brings universities to students and um, take a fee for that. So yeah. it does a, as they say, a win-win-win. The college gets more uh, students. The students get to the courses they couldn't otherwise access if they had to commute to Harvard or Cambridge or whatever. Yeah. And to you make some money in the middle. So it's a really, it's actually fascinating. Well, not as much fascinating, but very effective business. And yeah. I think it's been unduly punished as a result of short sellers that wrote nasty reports <laughs> during the year that You're got everybody like Elon Musk there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a $3 billion business. And, um, as I wrote in the comments soon to be updated, the caliber of to use um, clients and customers 
speak volumes about the pedigree of the software that they produce. So specifically, are, for example, Georgetown, Oxford in, in England, UCAL, Berkeley, Harvard, Cambridge are just some of the premium brands yeah. that have trusted to you to maintain their educational standards for students in a digital world. Um, and really, they, they've been smashed down, but yeah. the business is growing and growing. And it has had a couple of speed bumps, but there are very, very few business that have, businesses that have not encountered speed bumps along the journey. So by 2021, the vision for 2U is to more than double the number of programs that they currently have on their platform so that will have uh, around 110 um, uh, graduate programs, which is uh, about 40% of their long-term target of around 250 programs. So the business today is still small based against where it is they want to get to. Um, so there's at the moment in America, there's around, or around the world, there's 3 million graduate students sorry, in the US who together pay around 80 billion dollars in tuition. Now that's one big market. Yeah. And online enrollment accounts are around 22% of that figure. So two you have managed to position themselves as the de facto choice for colleges who want to expand their reach and their courses to people like the four of us here in this room where a commute to uh, Harvard just would be too much yeah. to undertake. <laughs> bit of a commute. Yeah. So that's two you and the ticker symbol is and Roy's T T-U-W-T-U-W-E-A-X-E. <laughs> -E yeah, Thank you. <laughs> Got there. Uh, cool. So that was the companies we never talk about section. We're going on to I read a book now, but instead of just one of us talking about a book we read, we're going to talk about our favourite books from the past year. Maeve, we might come to you first. What yeah. was the what was your favourite book you read in the last year? Well, I wanted to pick one from our RubyCoin library, yeah. which is an initiative that I think was set up internally here. So we buy good books that we think will, you know, inform or enlighten us uh, or help us with our personal development and the one that amused me the most I think was Nudge great book yeah Rory book. I think you might have recommended it ahead of the Rubicoin Larby and it's not a new book it's about 10 or 11 years old yeah. I think right um, and it's a book on um, behavioural economics yeah. and why humans make the clever or silly decisions that we make right um, and just to dive in slightly like so there's a there's a huge amount of obviously psychology and theory in it but the, the example I'll give, if anyone's kind of interested in reading it, is it talks about the kind of systems of thinking that human beings have. Yeah. There's two main systems of thinking. One is automatic and one is reflective. An example of automatic would be when a puppy is put in your lap, how you react, so you smile and you giggle. Um, and then reflective would be the more serious decisions, like do I want to marry this man? Do I want to take this job? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all that, all that serious stuff. Um, so does swipe right and swipe left if you go like where is that is that reactive or contemplative or sorry do you know what Emma, that, that's actually a good example of both you know okay. being on the app and seeking a life partner is reflective yeah because it burns uh, and all doesn't it really left. yeah so much have really managed to converge those two decision points you're dead right yeah. that's an interesting example from a psychology point of view yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, um, that's going to be in the abridged version I, the updated do, in, in Nudge <laughs> they go through the kind of cognitive biases and look let's stick yeah. with the dating uh, metaphor you know like there's herd mentality you yeah. know there's the status quo yeah. there's kind of all of these kind of cognitive biases that you'll you'll have to work through Yeah. and the book is very interesting it goes chapter by chapter through kind of different industries it talks about um, the Bush administration it has a chapter on kind of uh, junk food in schools yeah. and mm. where it's placed and what mm. kids reach for and then there's a lot about finance as well, which is, I suppose, why it's, you know, with it some degree of distance linked to 
me and Rubicoin and us. And it's just the idea of being a self-directed investor and making sure that you're saving and nudging yourself towards those decisions. It's difficult when you could say, well, look, I'll keep this month's money and not invest it and I'll go and have a holiday. Like, So it, it just talks about those mental patterns that are trying to nudge you towards being slightly better I love books like that I'm definitely going to read it based on your pitch have you found yourself checking yourself or changing a decision point or let's say uh, being aware of how you're making a decision or indeed reacting the word aware yeah it's given me an awareness of the things that I know myself I might need to nudge slightly harder on do you know what I mean like when I'm aware when I'm in a mental model that I know I have a habit in so like the gym it doesn't happen (laughs) Um, but you're aware it's been on my mind (laughs) (laughs) Rory any books you like this year yeah well the best book I read was the one you actually recommended on the pod uh, a couple of months ago uh, Bad Blood the story of Theranos I'll talk about my second favourite book which was called Factfulness by Hans Rosling who sadly passed away just before its publication and uh, he was a Swedish physician and world health professor and some people might know him he did a really famous TED talk a couple of years ago where he kind of got all these figures of world health up on a giant screen and showed how wrong people were about <laughs> about things basically he was re- kind of pointing out some terrible misconceptions people have regarding what we call the western world and I'm doing inverted commas at the moment and uh, and the third world and this book just really builds on that idea so he starts the book with a, multi- a series of multiple choice questions about things like female education and uh, the rising population and child mortality rates. And you go through it kind of giving your ABC answers, thinking you, you probably know these things. And yeah. to be honest, I didn't do very well in the test at all. <laughs> uh, it's it, it, And there's good reason for this. And the main one is that we're stuck with the same vision of certain parts of the world that people had like 50 years ago. And so this book, I thought, was a really good book. It really points out... Uh, that these differences don't really exist anymore, that actually the world is a lot better than we're made to believe. And it's not really an investing book, but, you know, it's always good to learn more about the world. And um, Rosling's a great writer, really good writer, and he gave some really good examples and talks about some cognitive biases as well, mate, that you were just talking about in Nudge. So, yeah, that was one of my favourite books of the year, definitely. What's the name again? It's called Factfulness, and it's by a guy called Hans Rosling. Emmett? Yeah, I I got through quite a few books this year and I already spent some time talking about my favourite, which was and is Shoe Dog. Uh, So I won't go on much more about it, but what I will say is that before I read the book, I knew more about Kevin Plank, the founder of Under Armour, than I did about Phil Knight. And when you think about it, Phil Knight is up there with Jobs, Buffett and Gates, but in a lower tech world, but with bleeding edge branding. And, you know, when I read the book, it, it compounded... The lesson to me that when you know a backstory, you connect at a deeper level with the brand. Yeah. So by reading Shoe Dog, the story of Nike is now forever fused in my mind and it has a deeper meaning and it therefore is far more authentic. And, you know, a good book generally is written by someone who shows their vulnerabilities because we all relate to that. And in the book... Phil Knight uh, talks about his vulnerabilities from love lost to, you know, moments of truth with the business. And and that's um, that's, I guess, why I liked it so much, because it brought home to me the true, true story of a man uh, who was behind the arguably top three or five biggest brands that we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, it's interesting. You men- mentioned uh, Steve Jobs there, obviously, in creating the story. And the book, I actually just finished reading it last weekend. Fantastic book. It's called The One Device, The Secret History of the iPhone by Brian Merchant. And what it is, essentially, it's about 500 pages long, but it's a complete, I suppose, encyclopedia is the best way you call it, of the iPhone. So 
this guy, Brian Merchant, he tracks down where every element, every part, every component of the iPhone we, you know, most of us carry around in our pockets mm. comes from. Mm. And at the same time, he kind of interlinks the story of the development of the iPhone. And what he really kind of attacks, I suppose, in one way is the whole story that, you know, Apple invented the smartphone and Apple invented all of these things that, you know, Steve Jobs stood up when the first iPhone came out and said, we invented multi-touch, we invented this, when in fact it was, you know, nearly hundreds of years of invention and, you know, from the most rudimentary kind of computers right up until development of the CERN research in Europe, that all of these different things came from. It's a bit of a bit of a tome, but it was one of the most mind-blowing books I've ever read. Oh, wow. he, he travelled, um, <clears throat> the author travelled across the world to see where the various elements in the phone come from. He went to a mine in Bolivia that was in the side of a mountain. He went to um, Shenzhen in China, where those mm. kind of horrible infamous factories are where the iPhones are put together it's it was incredible it, like you know it really makes you think about for a device that you know you carry around pretty much everywhere you go really makes you think about all the work and all the kind of cost both human cost and I suppose cost to the environment and stuff that goes into these devices incredible story so they were kind of some of the, the our most popular books from the last year and the name of that book again, oh sorry James? the name again was uh, The One Device The Secret History of the iPhone by Brian Merchant it's in the Rubicoin library did do you, you want it did you mention that one of the elements needed for the iPhone was found in a cave in Bolivia yeah so there's this <laughs> giant cave uh, or not, not sorry not cave it's a mountain but it's been mined so much that it's essentially I think scientists have said like it's going to collapse in the next few years it's been so mined but um, yeah they take the, lead, the tin lead and zinc out of it now I think Apple might say they don't, but <laughs> all all roads point to to the, the plants. There you go. So yeah, I'll it's, yeah. Here, yeah. Well, just just on that point, the the guy, the author, he broke down an iPhone with this. Um, I can't remember the word, but it's a guy who kind of an- analyzes different metals and elements. So they destroyed an iPhone six and they broke it down into its elemental parts. Wow. And they added up the cost of every element in the iPhone. The total cost. How do guesses? For an iPhone 6, oh. the total cost of all the elements. Down to, so how many raw elements are in an iPhone? Uh, there was about 50 or 60, I wow. think. Wow, okay. Yeah. Right, well that's higher I'm going to lowball it. Yeah. 20 quid. Okay. 50 quid. Hmm. Well, I just have to choose which side I'm betting on. I'll go with 49. $1.03. Oh, come on. Yes. Nice, mate. <laughs> Well done, mate. One dollar and three cent for a device. Do you, I win an iPhone? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> no, that's called margins. You, meanwhile, the thousand dollars later, you have your new iPhone ten. So for the next segment, instead of the usual jargon buster, we've decided to have a think about from all the companies in the Invest App showroom, which one has had the biggest impact on us over the past year. Maeve, we'll come to you first. I didn't stick to the brief, I'm okay. sorry. But I am going to list, and it was an interesting exercise, the companies that I have most used or interacted yeah. with in our showroom. Yeah. TripAdvisor, PayPal, Netflix, MasterCard, Apple, Disney, Twitter, Shopify, Atlassian, DocuSign and Match. And mm. how many are you invested in? Do you know what, James, about half of them. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the kind of ones from my personal and professional life that were top of mind from our Invest app. And I'm invested in about half of those. Yeah. yeah, that's very good. And just to tweak the question a little, which of those could you least li- live without? Disappointingly, I asked myself that, Emmett, and it's Twitter. Twitter? I think I might be addicted to wow. Twitter. Wow, ahead of PayPal, ahead of Match, I use, ahead It's of... the first app I open every day. Really? Mm, I only realised recently. I get that. <laughs> Rory? Uh, the company that had the biggest impact on my life was Facebook. Yeah. Because I'm no longer on it. Uh-huh. And it's been great. Uh, <laughs> when so did you leave? 
I left just after. Well, I haven't actually deleted my account, but I, I do every. I ha- don't use it at all, and I've deleted the apps off my phone. And yeah, I think it was just after the Cambridge Analytica thing came out. I think I, I always knew that Facebook was mining my data for something, but I didn't realize how kind of dark it was and how easily it could be weaponized. Oh. Um, so yeah, that was my company that had effect on me in a positive way. <laughs> well done, Emmett. Well. Uh, Apple and Amazon, of course, because I have an Apple phone and I stare into it more yeah. time than I prefer to admit. And Amazon, interestingly, was the first time I think I did all my shopping this year uh, on Amazon. For yeah. the holidays? Yeah, for, for Christmas. Or just and, in general? <laughs> for anything I need, pretty much. Okay. With one or two items of clothing, as an exception, I think Amazon had the full share of my wallet for those. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's, that's that was the first. Don't, don't use Amazon. But to go somewhere a little more original, mm. uh, rather than saying Apple and Amazon, which I think would be 90% of the world's answer, I, I think Atlassian, you know, we manage our business with Atlassian products. I manage my thought process with Trello, one of the... Atlassian tools. Mm. Most of us manage our projects internally here in RubyCoin with Trello, and I know that the development team uh, use Jira and Confluence and all those other tools that Atlassian produce. Which, frankly, I wouldn't recognise if I tripped over them. But I do think Atlassian's Trello is just one of the most wonderful productivity tools, and therefore it gets the slightly less obvious tap yeah. from me. Yeah, well, Atla- like Confluence and Trello are huge things in yeah. here. I was yeah. Atlassian was actually my one too because ah. with our designer John Sherwin, yes, yeah. I send my whatever yeah. I need over to him on that, and that's well, and it appears, it appears, <laughs> it appears magically. Yeah. I was talking to somebody later. in Airbnb, and and I was saying to her how Atlassian is a big part of our life here in. Rubycoin and and she said to me, uh, oh, uh, no, I've never heard of it. But as soon as I listed Confluence Jira and, and the friend and yeah. friends, she was like, oh yeah, that's yeah. that is. Uh, I wouldn't like to put words in her mouth, but it sounded like it was the backbone of a lot of what Airbnb okay. does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So before we finish up this episode, we're going to quickly get to our elevator pitches. This is where both Emmett and Rory have thirty seconds to pitch a company to myself and Maeve. And then we select the best pitch. Last month, you guys actually pitched a bull and bear case for the marijuana industry. So we thought we'd do something similar again this month, seeing as it's the last episode of 2018. So, guys, you're going to give me and Maeve your big pitch for 2019. So, I suppose it's kind of a prediction or a... a, Mm, a But not necessarily related to a stock. Oh, yeah. No, no. Sorry. Yeah. So it can be stock, industry. Mm -hmm. It could be be as crazy as you want. Right. Uh, Rory? Well, I'll go first. After you. 30 okay. seconds. No, come on, it can be 30 seconds. It's going to be, this is the whole of 2019 okay, well, we're yeah. talking about. <laughs> um, okay, so I think most of us know the acronym AWS, which stands for Amazon Web Services. However, not many people have heard of AMS, AAP, or AMG. But these are all acronyms related to Amazon's rapidly growing advertising business. And it's important because for years now, Amazon has really been stretching its legs in search. In fact, at the moment, it's the world's biggest product search engine. Uh, and that means that there's an awful lot of money to be made in advertising. So yeah. it's estimated in the US this year, advertisers spent $4.5 billion on Amazon's platform. And that accounts for 4% of all the digital spending that's going to happen in the US this year. That makes them the third biggest digital ad platform in the US. Now, they're still miles away from 
Google and Facebook, but they're growing really rapidly. And I think the reason they're going to continue to grow rapidly is because one, when you're on Amazon, you're actually shopping for something already. So when Amazon advertises to you, it's actually more of a suggestion or you think it's more of a suggestion than an advertisement. Yeah. And two, you're at very little risk of having your brand associated with something controversial or negative, which you are a lot of on Facebook. Google. Yeah. Um, so my prediction for 2018, 19 is that we're going to be talking a lot more about Amazon as an advertising business. Mm. Okay. Interesting. I like that. I'm in the same ballpark insofar as it's a giant uh, mega trend. Like we've acknowledged that 2019 is really only two and a half weeks away. So (laughs) if we can't see the thing now, it's unlikely to be a thing. So I'm going with the one product that gave me the biggest shock in the year. Like the first time I saw an iPhone was whatever, 10 years ago. And the minute I saw it, I wanted one. And uh, this year, uh, when I got delivery of the Oculus by Facebook in May, it had a similar effect on me. And I think my prediction for 2019 is Oculus, or at least VR headsets, will um, go past the tipping point and become a thing that's used far, far more in people's home and business lives. Um, I'm not saying we'll all have an Oculus or equivalent headset by the end of 2019, but I think that in the year ahead, if you have not tried VR, I think it is the year that you will try VR um, and most likely will buy a headset if you're of that demographic because it is far more advanced than even I anticipated when I took the delivery of the Oculus. So I think the next engine and engine of growth for Facebook, which we opened this podcast with, yeah. will be Oculus. And, you know, the, the the Oculus Go, which I bought, was a 200-book device. Most people can uh, can afford that. And when they try it, I think between the price point and the wow factor, we're going to see absorption. Cool. So, Maeve, mm. which pitch? Well, I had a shot, which means I had a go or a try of... Um, a headset when it was in here. I don't know if it was your um, VR headset or maybe your head of development, Alessius. Oh, yeah. And I got to sit downstairs and chill out downstairs um, in one of our break rooms with a, a couple of like neon fish underwater for 10 minutes. So I think I might go with um, at your pitch. Okay, thank I you. Think, I think thank I might go much. with that. Yeah, although Rory, you have me interested and kind of convinced, but I'm not sure. Advertisements, ooh, evil. It's a lesser of two yeah. years, really. <laughs> this I'm, is true. I'm going to go with Amazon. I think. I think yeah. Jeff Bezos has done pretty much everything else. I, mm-hmm. It's probably quite mm-hmm. feasible that he'll he'll bring Amazon that way. Are we going to t- Giles for the tiebreaker? Giles. Giles, me. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. Giles has picked Rory again. Yes, again. That's why I favoritism. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's about it from us for 2018 on the Rubicon podcast. But before we go, we have some exciting changes to tell you about that are coming in the new year. Firstly, we've actually decided to change the name of the podcast too. Can I get a drum roll, please? Stock Club. Hey. So from 2019 onwards, the podcast is going to be called Stock Club. I think we'll we'll have a chat about where the name Stock Club came in the first podcast for the new year. By the way, you just blew our entire sound budget for 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, we're actually going to be recording the podcast twice a month from now on. Uh, So you guys will start to hear a lot more from our investing team in 2019. And while we're on the subject of new things too, actually, I just want to mention that we also have a really cool ebook coming out in the new year. But again, we'll tell you a little bit more about that in January. Until then, if you have any questions or any topics that you want us to discuss on the brand new Stock Club podcast, make sure to get in touch. You can reach us on Twitter or Facebook, leave a comment on the podcast episode itself, message us through either the Learn or the Invest app or email us at pod at rubicoin.com. That's P-O-D at rubicoin.com. 
And as always, there's plenty of new things to check out in the Invest app this month, December's Star Stock, Stock of the Month, and there's a new expert opinion piece coming this week too. Thanks everyone for joining us on the Rubicoin podcast this year, and we'll see you in 2019 for plenty more of investing chats. For myself, from Emmett, Rory and Maeve, Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Happy Christmas. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.